Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings of the revolution, welcome to Penn Sunday School with your host, Penn Gillette. I'm Reddy Rich coming to you live from Show Creator Studio South here in Las Vegas. And here, please feel free to enjoy another introduction that will not exist in 20 minutes. I had a bunch of airport debacle stuff happen this morning, but I'm finally going to make it in, I think, about 20 minutes in the episode or something. I don't know. Here he is, preaching the love, Penn Gillette. How you doing, preaching love? You know, um, Matt is coming back from the, um, from the airport. He flew in. He lost his flight. So we're doing this late in the day, and he's going to join us. But I thought it was a perfect opportunity to talk about the residents. Okay. Because Matt Donnelly, eh, he's not as bad as Godot, but he doesn't know a lot about music other than, you know, Springsteen. I know uh, things. You know things. So we can talk about the residents because people have written in a few people, not a lot, and asked about the residents. And I am been very close to the residents for uh, 45 years. Many years. Many, many years. And I first heard about the residents. I was fortunate because even when I was street performing, I was making an okay amount of money. I've been able to support myself for a long time and haven't had to, um, only a few times in my life that I have to be really extremely careful with money. I didn't have to be really frugal. So um, when I was fairly young, like, um, oh, I don't know, 22, 23, uh, there was this guy who owned a record store uh, called Sun Music, uh, uh, named after Sun Studios mm-hmm. in uh, Amherst, Massachusetts, who I knew. He's from Greenfield, my hometown. And uh, name was uh, MC Caustic. Name still is MC Caustic. He owned this record store, and he knew a lot about music. And he would sit behind the register. This is what I loved about him. And he would wear gym shorts with no underwear, with his legs spread and up on the counter, sitting in his store. So you'd go up and you'd be greeted to his crotch, as you were buying records. And I was living at the time in, uh, I think San Francisco or maybe Philly. And uh, I said to him, record store owner, I said, every month, send me a package of all the records I should hear. Just send me a package of all the records. And uh, it was remarkable. He sent me Ramones and Sex Pistols. I heard them all for the first time from him. Half Japanese, you know, Jad Fair. Um, all this incredible music. This is the late 70s. So music was exploding at that time. You know, Jonathan Richman, all that stuff. Um, he pushed me deeper into the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed. Um, really did uh, create my musical taste. Um, they really kind of still exist today. Um, I've added stuff to it, but I've never subtracted stuff from it. And he sent me a residence record. Now, the residents are an avant-garde musical ensemble that also does films and art projects that are anonymous and that live in San Francisco. They live in San Francisco. They always said that Warner Brothers Records named them the residents because they sent their first tape, which was called Baby Sex, I think, to Warner Brothers Records, unsolicited, with no name on it, just their address, and it came back residents (laughs) and that address. And they said, wow, Warner Brothers has a great PR department. They just named us the residents. So they took that name and they started their own record company and um, they bought their own. I should remember the address, 444 Grove Street in San Francisco. They had offices and they ran a record company called Ralph Records. 
named after the sound for vomiting that they would use down south. And they put out uh, a few singles, Satisfaction and Baby Sex. Then they put out um, Meet the Residents, which was the Beatles cover for Meet the Beatles that was defaced. And it said from Louisiana's top pop combo. And um, they put out records. But the one that grabbed me beyond belief was a record called Third Reich and Roll. And it was a beautiful cover. Um, the residents also put out all their own art, artwork with a company called Porno Graphics. And the Porno was always spelled differently. P-O-U-R-K-N-O-W, Graphics. Poor, P-O-R-N-O, Graphics. It was always Porno Graphics. Mm-hmm. And the cover was Dick Clark dressed in full Nazi regalia like Hitler and it was called Third Reich and Roll and side A was called This Explains Why Hitler Was a Vegetarian and I forgot what the other side is called maybe that's side B and uh, I put on Third Reich and Roll and I was listening to punk and noise and everything I was already that far uh, with my musical taste and Third Reich and Roll was just, uh, I was going to say life-changing. That's, that's too melodramatic. It was taste-changing because um, it was a uh, collection, a mix-up of um, 60s rock and roll music, but all done in the most disjointed, dissonant way. Uh, nah, 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 nah. The land of a thousand dances, all these, uh, all these dance moves, the twist, and it was all done in this um, nightmarish quality, with a lot of effects and people who uh, clearly didn't play these songs, and it was done with uh, sounds I'd never ever heard before. I mean, just textures and sonorities. And a sensibility I'd never heard. Punk was trying to, in a certain sense, get back to the roots of rock and roll. Jonathan Richmond, the Ramones. Uh, and democratize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. But getting back to garage bands and stuff. And there was underlying it a love for rock and roll. Although it was critical of the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and that kind of slick type stuff. It was not critical of the underlying guts of rock and roll. Third rock and roll was, as you can tell by the name. And it just gave me this feeling. A rebellion against the rebellion. Yeah. It gave me this feeling that um, I, I think was intended, having become close to the residents and talk with the residents, of how oppressive rock and roll was and is. As a friend of mine said, about 20 years ago, there's no alternative to alternative. You know, the sonorities, the chord structure, even the, the subjects and the point of view were absolutely rigid. You had to be a rebel. You had to be rebelling against things. You had to be an outcast and you had to essentially be powerful. You know, it was essentially going to be in guitar keys and it was going to use with a very few exceptions, and the exceptions are not the Ramones and Jonathan Richmond, same three chords. And you had to agree with the fantasy. Yes, you had. Leather jackets, everything, all of that. Third Reich and Roll 
just opened up my eyes tremendously and made me hear music in a whole different way. Matt Donnelly's just walking in here. See how, how long it takes him to catch on to what we're talking about. So I heard Third Reich and Roll with Dick Clark on the cover in Nazi, Nazi stuff and really heard rock and roll in an entirely different way. It was not easy listening. It was the most difficult listening you could have. And as Reddy and I were just saying, the whole fantasy of rock and roll, the the rebel and the and if you'll forgive me born to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of that was just destroyed by this. It was two sides of a record of all dissonant cacophony versions of pop songs. Uh-huh. And mixed it all together and called it third Reich and roll. And I loved it. And then I went and bought the other residence records, uh, fingerprints. Well, I didn't buy them. They were sent to me by Mike Caustic, who just had carte blanche to send me anything. And I got crazy for the residence. The guy that ran the record store. Yeah, Mike Caustic. Those guys still exist. Yeah. How do you find them? Oh, MC Caustic, how'd I find them? No, how how do you how would you find that guy today? Because now it's Spotify doing that, and it doesn't do it anywhere near as well. Yeah, I don't know how you find, you know, when I was first singing the praises of the internet and how great yeah, it was yeah, going to yeah. be, having everything at your fingertips seemed like it solved every problem. As someone who ordered to my record store, Lenny Bruce, yeah. and then waited two weeks. Yeah. But now, uh, my son has access to everything, but he's still not discovering Lenny Bruce. Um, exactly. Yeah. I, and like, um, even every website, if you go there often, just naturally curates to mm-hmm. your tastes. Mm-hmm. I don't have that much of an authority on myself. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like I, I go to a lot of sports sites as well as sports. And that's why I like sports podcasts is because they don't cater to me. They end mm-hmm. up telling me about stuff that I may or may not be interested in. I think if anything, even with the, problems we're seeing in social media across the board, it sure would be nice if someone actually stepped up and led mm-hmm. and actually was a curator and an editor of a lot of things. That yeah. Well, there, there are ways to discover that, you know, yeah. uh, when you, when you read a book, you can often find references to another book. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, that can lead you down the line or to other, what I, what I really, it's very different now. Mm-hmm. And I never want to say bad, but it certainly is different is, um, my children have songs they like yeah, by people they like. Mm-hmm. And if there's a song they don't like by those people, they just don't play it. Right. I would buy a record by someone that I loved. Yeah. Frank Zappa, Bob Dylan, uh, Jonathan Richmond, Ramones, um, in, in the, in, in the, you know, uh, and I would put that record on long player. Yeah. LP 33 and a third the big black disc. Yeah. And when it came to a song that I didn't like, I I stayed with it uh, for a few reasons. One, too lazy to get up and skip it over with a, with a turntable. Yeah. Right? That's one reason. But the other reason was just I was committed to them. I remember David Bowie put out an album called Low. Yeah. And I first heard Low and did not like anything about it. Right. But I bought it because it was David Bowie. And I guess because I'd invested that at the time, what would it be, three ninety nine? Uh, it, it was I, I wasn't going to waste that money. It was sunk cost. I didn't understand that, so I just listened over and over and over again. And as I say at the end of every show, you become naked. Yeah. That's from Revolution Number no. Nine by the Beatles. Right. And I had the White Album, 
So I listened to Revolution Number no. 9, which was a kind of um, kind of a dumbed-down version of Music Concrete. Yeah. You know, and when Zappa said, listen to uh, Verez, I listened to Verez, listened to the whole record, and I didn't have the whole world at my fingertips, so I dug deeper, you know, and sometimes I worry that the internet can turn us all into Dennis Miller, where we know a little bit about everything, but don't go deep enough. That's it. I, I, uh, so many things seem to be catered to that your brain is an instant expert of your tastes. Yeah. And- I just never had that confidence in myself. Right. So you, it gives you more of what you like and you haven't really learned what you like. Yeah. And like someone's Spotify or those things curate, I kind of go like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be stuck in this lane. I always, I don't wa- think I have great music taste. I think my friends do. I think I wondered if, if XM radio just did a channel that actually was shuffle of everything they had. Well, that's like one of the things I do, uh, the Apple music alternative playlist, mm-hmm. alt rock playlist. Yeah. That recurates every week. Well, all their all their playlists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the closest I get to someone recommending me something. But I'm uh, I was just listening to the Beastie Boys book. Yeah. And man, when they talk about like what went into making a mixtape for your friend, mm-hmm. the length of the amount of music you gave them could be a, a, a sign of affection. Where they made you a half hour mixtape, an hour mixtape, or a ninety minute mixtape. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and then they would you know, you'd write down the set list for people and stuff like that. And that idea of getting music, like that, that gesture is a powerful gesture that's gone, regardless of what we're talking about. You know, like we don't have that human thing. Like if I handed you a CD and said, play this in your car. I made cassettes. Yeah. Not CDs, cassettes for Teller. There were mixtapes that he still has. Right. Yeah. You know, they all say Rudy 33 and a third or something. Like that, that that moment that you described, it's a powerful thing to do from one person to another. When I first met Jonesy, yeah. I went over to his house, I sat down, and he played me music. Yeah. Went to his record player and played me music. Delightful thing. Yeah. Still my favorite thing in the world to do is go over to Eddie Gordetsky's house. Right. Who has hundreds of thousands of records. Yeah. In every form possible. And uh, have him play me stuff. Yeah. And you can turn a lifelong fandom from one thing someone plays you. I used to do that all the time, sit down with people and play them music. But now you feel stupid because the stuff that I had that no one else had is now available. But I forget the fact that me playing it means something. Yes, I think that is true. And I think that's why there is that vinyl culture that still survives to this yeah. day. I think it's people just like, no, it's the value of the whole experience. But it's also age. It's also harder. It's really harder. When you're 16 and 17, up to maybe 28, 29, 30, you're easily imprinted with music. Yeah. And when I started to change into listening to much, much more jazz, I always listened to 20th century classical Mm -hmm. and uh, punk and general rock and roll. But when I tried to, I mean, other than sketches of Spain, others than kind, other than kind of blue, others than, other than Coltrane, other than the stuff you had to know. When I tried to dig in a little bit more, you know, than just one record of Mingus, uh, to learn jazz, you know, at the beginning of the century, and then learn to play it, um, it's really hard to develop your taste later in life. Yeah, I mean, you can do it. You yeah. just got to really work hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, it must be out there. There must be people that say, this is my taste. Listen, here's my playlist. Yeah, you used to just be able to go to whatever record shop sold the head stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. And just know that that guy is going to look at you and start picking out stuff for you. But even like, oh, yeah, for, for, for me, Red Bank, New Jersey, Jack's Music Shop, mm-hmm. that's for you. But that's thing, someone brought up a band. You confirmed it with the person who worked at the record place. Yeah. And say, my friend said, this band's good. Listen to the B-52s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would kind of go like, oh, I guess, you know, whatever. Or they kind of go like, yeah, no, that's going, that's really hot right now. And if you like that, maybe you want to check out this yeah, too, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, and supposedly Apple Music and Spotify and everybody else does that. It just doesn't feel like that. That's it. There's a feeling missing. And definitely the thing we're talking about, which is giving a song multiple listens and going from dislike to like over time, that definitely is gone That's away. really hard. So the other stuff, they might compensate with that, but I feel like there's no way my kids are doing that. Mm-hmm. It's not just a feeling that's missing. It's the person pointing out stuff that you shouldn't like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where Spotify and all the other algorithms are failing. Yeah, I've never considered myself an expert of my music taste. Never. Mm-hmm. I've always been embarrassed to play stuff in my car for people when other people are in the car. I put on whatever is neutral or likable. Mm-hmm. I always take my friend's recommendations. I've always, my whole life, built up my music library based on my friend's recommendations mm-hmm. for stuff. I've never been like, and even like this, we joke, I mean, here in Jersey and Springsteen, that's the joke, right? Because like, yeah, I took an A to A choice. So in my car, I never put on Springsteen. Mm-hmm. It was always like, I bet you think I'm going to put on Springsteen. So no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it, it, cars sold in Jersey, can they play anything but no, Springsteen? No, no, no. I, it's, it's, you, well, the old CD players would just spin them right back out. <laughs> It's coded. Yeah. It's coded. You don't want to hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard. And records like the half Japanese first record, yeah. half Gentleman Knob Beast, the first record came out was a three-record set. Yeah. And it was insane, nerve-wracking, clanging music. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I listened to that over and over again until I found a way to like it. Yeah. I remember recording with Kramer. We recorded with our band... Um, Captain Howdy, the Captain Howdy. When we recording with the Captain Howdy, someone come in and play a guitar solo. Yeah. And it hit a wrong note. And Kramer would say, come into the booth. We're going to listen to that until we like it. <laughs> 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 Which is just great. Now, I point out it's Captain, the Captain Howdy, not Captain Howdy, not Captain Howdy, because you know about Suicide Squad, right? No. My son explained this to me. The Suicide Squad... One of the greatest movies ever. Suicide Squad, one of the worst. <laughs> they are two different movies. Oh, okay. The Suicide Squad is good. Suicide Squad, not. Huh. And Patriot, really good. Oh, yes. The Patriot. Horrible. Horrible. There's a part where if you, uh, if Mel Gibson in The Patriot, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. When people were first raving about The Patriot, uh, raving about Patriot, I was like, "Are people watching that old Mel Gibson movie?" That's I thought what, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. that's why I didn't click on. It. I looked at the he, picture and went, "Wait a minute, that's not Mel Gibson. This might be good." Like an early moment of the film where, we, where Mel Gibson decides the character uh, is going to get violent. Mm-hmm. He stabs them like it's like eighty-four times. It's like an uncomfortable amount that was comical in the theater. They went from like stabbing him to like he just keeps stabbing away. They keep going to more stabbing. And then the theater, we began to chuckle <laughs> at it. That's still one of my favorite moments. I like when the character decided to get violent. The character decided to get violent when Mel Gibson decided to make the movie. 
<laughs> I mean, he turned the passion of the Christ, the passion of the Christ. Right. There's two of those Ooh. in there showing you. Uh, so I can do passion of Christ, no problem. Right. <laughs> that, that lane's wide open. <laughs> no, there there is passion of Christ. And there is the passion of Christ, and there's the passion of the Christ. Oh, they're all taken. And we haven't been able to decide whether that article is good or bad. Because <laughs> on Patriot, it's a bad thing. Yeah. On Suicide Squad, it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the Led Zeppelin, bad thing. <laughs> on the on the Ramones, yeah. good thing. Yeah. Very hard to tell where the is a traitor. Yeah. And the Batman comes and goes. Hmm? A the will fuck you. <laughs> you can't tell with a the. You can't tell with a the. Let's talk about Masterclass. Shall we ready? Okay. I know. You like that. We talk about Masterclass now and again, and that's because it's a really, really great thing. We did a Masterclass, as you know. We taught magic, and these are the best people in the world teaching, and we are among them. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, at your own pace. You can learn how to magic from Penn and Teller. What else have you learned, Renny? Recently, I've been going through their new bonus features. What are those? They have group classes. They also have essays posted online that aren't related to any class directly, and you could look them up. Oh, really? I just recently used one to solve a lot of viewer mail problems with ska and <laughs> reggae. Oh, that's great. That Everything is a masterclass. Mm -hmm. There's just every single subject. Whether you want to learn to cook. And that can be any kind of cooking, from fancy Michelin, fancy-ass cooking, to uh, to just how to make an egg really well. You learn to write from people like Steve Martin, Neil Gaiman. Learn to direct from people like uh, Ron Howard. Learn to astronaut from an astronaut. Learn to basketball from a basketball. You can watch about any format at all. I mean, I don't have to go through these, but Apple TV, computer, uh, phone, tablet, whatever you want. Also, there's audio mode. They're like 10 minutes long. You can watch them in any order. And as you said, there's a lot of additional resources. So you learned about all those? Mm -hmm. Yep. And you've taken a lot of the courses, haven't you? I'm about 30% now. And you've changed, that's how many there are. You've been working on this for years. And um, you told me the thing about not pointing. From the negotiator? Correct. I've been not pointing at all on the show, and I really like it. Teller stopped it, too. I've been not pointing at the casino. Yeah, it's different, isn't it? We should all stop pointing. Yes. We should all not point. It's much better to do a uh, friendly gesture. Anyway, that's one of the light things you can learn. A lot of really other good things. Uh, it's a great thing. It's a great thing, and you learn great stuff. So I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as a Penn Sunday School listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash Penn. Now, that's masterclass.com slash Penn for 15% off masterclass. The classes are really great. Check them out. You know, there are too many choices to make. You know, you go to a store. You, I mean, you can't pick out what book to read, what DVD to watch. You certainly don't have time to pick out what razor to use. And there are a zillion different kinds of razors, and they're all really really expensive. So how do you find a real high-quality razor that you can depend on and is also a reasonable price? Harry's makes it easy. They consistently give you better razors than in-store options at the best price. Harry's razors are refilled when you need them and delivered straight to your door so you can choose Harry's once and they'll take care of the rest. You know I don't like shopping for anything. Choice paralysis. We should solve everything. Yes. 
Make a decision. Go with it. It's a really good... I'm using a Harry's razor now. I don't have to shave much. I have a very light beard. I use a Harry's razor like, you know, twice a week, and it works great. The handle feels great. It's really, really the right price. Get a quality shave without the hassle with a $3 Harry's trial set. The starter set is a $13 value for just 3 bucks at harrys.com slash Pen. And includes a five-blade German-engineered razor, weighted handle. It's a really good handle. Foaming shave gel. It's a really good gel. And a travel cover, which I don't use. Plus, you can schedule replacement blade delivery whenever you need them with refills as low as $2. And Aries also makes great other self-care products. More than ever before, shaving creams, body washes, hydrating lotions, and more. Blades are made in their own factory in Germany that hold up better than ever. Guys, who've tried it say their eighth shave is as sharp as their first. Sleek, ergonomic, weighted handles that look great in your bathroom and give you precise control with each swipe. There's no reason not to try Harry's. Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, and they're still offering a no-risk trial. Don't like your shaves? Don't worry, it's on them. Save the hassle, set up your delivery, and get the best quality shave with Harry's. Get a $13 starter set for just 3 bucks at harrys.com slash pen. That's harrys.com slash pen for a $3 starter kit. Why don't you use the travel cover? Because I, uh, I just throw it in the bag. It still stays sharp. It's still good. I was hoping you would say that you have a different subscription for all your favorite hotels. I should have that. I should have that. It's reasonably what, priced enough. That's what everybody should do. Yeah. You know, Reddy, it's really hard to find the perfect Mother's Day gift. Now, in my case, I buy a Mother's Day gift for my wife because my, uh, my mom is gone. But uh, this is a great Mother's Day gift. You know, Matt Donnelly used it for his dad, not for Mother's Day gift, but his dad has it. It is the greatest gift in the world because you get a skylight frame and you get to send pictures to a frame that's in the recipient's home. It's a really beautiful frame. And most important, it's easy to set up. It does not take ready, Rich. Matt did it. Matt's father did it. I did it. Emily did it. It's really, really simple. The Skylight Digital Photo Frame is a sweet and meaningful gift that'll give you a new way to stay in touch with those you love. It's so simple and fun to use, even if you're not tech savvy. No app or subscription required to send photos anytime from anywhere. A great way to feel close to those you love, even when you're far away. Anyone in the family can send photos to the frame, so it's a great way to keep family members in touch. It sets up effortlessly in under one minute, a lot under, and even the least tech-savvy people can use it. It looks like a real photo frame that adds a beautiful touch to your home. Skylight Frame is a gorgeous 10-inch or 15-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap the heart button. It'll let the sender know you love the photo. This makes the frame interactive and it's fun to use and 100% satisfaction guaranteed. I love this. Uh, Emily has one in her desk, has pictures running all the time. She gets them from everybody. She absolutely loves it. You know, when we started with Skylight, you threatened to publish that address. I did. For Emily's. I did. I probably should. 
I probably should do that. We still get about one letter a month. Okay. Request. Well, I'll that. do that. I'll do that when I have the when I I'll get the address from her. I'll also clear it with her, and then everyone can send photos. Now, as a special Mother's Day office, get a ten percent off, up to thirty dollars off your frame when you go to skylightframe.com/slash pen. That's right. To get ten percent off, up to thirty dollars off your purchase of a skylight frame, just go to skylightframe dot com slash pen that's s-k-y-l-i-g-h-t-f-r-a-m-e dot p-e-n-n after a slash uh it is a uh, it's a really really great thing it's just such a great gift I, I don't know anyone that wouldn't like that it's really really great so i arrived in san francisco in 1979 yeah with teller to do the asparagus valley cultural society we would do a very long theater run there. We did- um, Did the theater reach out to you? Did you think San Francisco was awesome? Uh, like what drove the actual- We were in Philly and a producer by the name of Jim Friedberg mm-hmm. thought he could find a theater in San Francisco. We'd do well. And were you excited? Like, was that exciting? Was that a logical next stop? Just a gig. I love you guys never care about where you go. <laughs> it was just like, will you pay our airfare? Do we have Lowest, a place to say? The bottom, the bottom of the contract, not the top. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They could have put us anywhere. We didn't care. We would we would have gone to Nome. Yeah, we we would have gone to to but it Budapest. Had a reputation, uh, San Francisco, being a cool spot. I I suppose. Okay. I suppose, but to me, yeah. San Francisco was just the residence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I got there, and the second day I was there, I went to four 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 Grove Street. Okay. Because that was where the residence record company was. And I walked into the record company and there were just people milling around and, you know, like three people packing up records and mailing them out, boxes and stuff and doing that. And there was all sorts of weird shit in the back because they were making a movie called Vileless Fats in the back. And they had all these weird sets and the videotape cameras where you had a, you had to thread the videotape. Uh-huh. Never, never even seen before, right? And weird recording equipment, and then people just packing boxes. So I went in and I said, uh, "Hi, I'm a huge fan of the residence." And with a small company like that, you tell them your name and address, and they go, "Oh yeah, we sent out like four box sets to there." <laughs> <laughs> right? They remember. And I said, "Hi, I, I just got to San Francisco. I'm doing a show." called uh, the Asparagus Valley Culture Society. We're at the Phoenix Theater. We're doing eight shows a week. Um, if anybody from Ralph Records or the residents would like to come see the show, just call this number and, you know, say da 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 So uh, about seven or eight people from Ralph Records over the period of two months called and said, we're at Ralph Records. Can we get tickets? da 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 and I said, sure. They left off like a single or an album for me that was coming out as a thank you, right? Cool. And they went. And then after two months, and after a bunch of people had come from Ralph Records, I got a typed note that said, Dear Penn, all the residents have seen your show. We liked it. And then four different X's. Drawn by four different people because uh, they were anonymous. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. How cool. And I was like, whoa, 
this is the greatest That's thing ever. Cool. This is the greatest thing ever. So the Ralph Records people, different people, this whole culture of probably 20 people in the avant-garde, you know, uh, most of them producers and people that, you know, mailed out records, entrepreneurs, you know, people that did that. We all started hanging out because I was new in San Francisco and we'd go out for pizza and we, you know, and we'd talk about the residents. And all of a sudden, uh, with a few of these people out of the 20 or so I was hanging out with, third person went to first person. Oh. Just with no fanfare, no nothing, I was all of a sudden talking to the residents. And my mind was absolutely blown. That's such a, that's such a cool thing. You can't even hmm. come up with anything analogous to it. I don't it, it was just really, really great. Banksy. Banksy. Talking to Banksy. Yeah, yeah. It's like talking to Banksy. And I don't know if other people would, but I, if I end up realizing I was talking to the two guys from Daft Punk, maybe mm -hmm. that would be that feeling. Yeah, it was, it was great. And we became friends. Yeah. And then they had been together for 10 years at that point. 1980 was their 10 year anniversary and they wanted to do the 10th anniversary radio special. Mm -hmm. And I got the idea of this square guy who'd never heard the residents being hired and being locked in a motel room for 48 hours with nothing but Ralph records and a microphone. <laughs> and, uh, I said, I'll play that part. Now, um, I wrote is too strong a word. I outlined it mm -hmm. and then riffed from there. Yeah. And they took pictures of me in like an Izod alligator shirt and, um, uh, you know, white pants and out in front of the motor lodge. Yeah. With a big smile. And I did this, well, it was a two record set. So, you know, that's, that's about, uh, you know, what an hour, I mm -hmm. guess, um, an hour and a half, maybe. Um, I did this whole monologue that was to be their 10th anniversary radio special to be sent out to radio stations. And I guess I did a pretty good job because, uh, most people, everybody believe that the first time I heard the residents was in that motel room. <laughs> and they also believe that I did this locked in a motel room for 48 hours, whereas I really did it in the residence recording studio. Yeah. And I did it in about two hours. Right. With, you know, we edited it and did that. And my voice sounds entirely different because I was younger. There's less damage to my voice. And also they speeded it up a little bit to get it to fit where they wanted it to. Um, and I worked with the residents on it. They worked on putting it in and we did that and they produced it and, you know, we wrote it together and laid it out. And then everyone believed that it was, um, the first time it heard the residents, which was very, very strange because on a record that came out a year before my voice is on it, <laughs> I record the weather report, uh, wow. for, I do, I do a DJ weather report yeah. on one of their things. Uh, I think it's on uh, the mole show, a uh, Mark of the mole. I'm on Mark of the mole, which came out before the 10th anniversary radio special. So if I first heard it in the room, I wouldn't be on there. I thought it was so odd that I didn't expect anybody to notice, but hardcore residents fans did not notice that the guy who'd never heard the residents before is on a record. But mm. 
It was a successful radio special, and it's still out. You can still find it. Mm-hmm. You still find the uh, Ralph Records 10th anniversary radio special featuring Penn Jillette. It's a black and white cover, and um, I haven't listened to it in 40 years, but I'm still very proud of it. Right. I th- still think it's uh, really, really good. And then uh, the Asparagus Valley Culture Society was breaking up in 1981, mm-hmm. and the residents were going out on their first tour. Mm-hmm which was going to be this very avant-garde opera. Mm-hmm. And they were building uh, not projections, not sets, mm-hmm. but they were doing paintings, actual paintings that were 12 feet by 8 feet that would be pushed on and off stage, like, like you would use a video wall, but still paintings. They were going to have dancers, and the residents would play live, but they would be totally obscured in the eyeball heads. And that's when the eyeball heads first started. And in some of the pictures of the residents, I'm one of the eyeball heads where they're sitting down. Because, of course, the residents wouldn't put in the eyeball heads themselves. Why bother? <laughs> they would just get friends of theirs, take, you know, put them in the tuxedos and yeah. take pictures. But the residents were actually the ones running the cameras and doing all that. So they decided that I would be in the opera as the narrator, and I would uh, be the only one who would speak, the only one recognizable on stage, and uh, I'd be the only one to do interviews. And they were going to visit one day in every country in Europe. I mean, it was an insane schedule. And I'd never uh, been over to Europe. Uh, I'd never visited Europe at all, and I was going to go on tour with the residents. And I became involved with one of the dancers, mm-hmm. which made it a really nice, nice tour. And uh, I sat on the bus with the residents every day for, I guess, eight weeks. Oh, man. Every day for eight weeks. You know, those long tour rides, you talk about everything. Yeah. So the residents became very close friends of mine. And they say, you know, never meet your heroes. Uh, but I did meet my hero and it turned heroes and it turned out very well. Now I'm being a little bit weird about the anonymous thing because Hardy Fox, who was called H, yeah, uh, died two years ago. Right. And on his deathbed, he admitted to being one of the residents, which did not please the other residents because they were going to be anonymous forever. Oh, and as, as he was dying, he put out a letter saying, I've been working with the residents since 1970, and I did this, 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 and this, and I'm very proud of it, and he wrote a very nice letter. So his name was Hardy Fox. As though that isn't a weird enough name, he went by the name H. Mm-hmm. Everybody just called him H. And uh, I was very close to Hardy, and losing him was a, was a big deal. And the other residents being angry at him also made it just That's creepy. It tough. was just oh, really, and I kind of sympathized with them. Of course. They loved him and they supported him and they, it wasn't like they wouldn't go to his deathbed like, you know, the Ramones. A decades long deep artistic endeavor is going to bring mixed feelings to, to, to things. <laughs> so. Um, and they're still working. People yeah. still send me on uh, Twitter, oh, I went and saw the residents the other day. They didn't, they just played the MoMA a little while ago. They played, uh, they did a show I remember in the 80s, which I really loved where they had um, Stockhausen 
uh, the 20th century classical music concrete guy, mm-hmm. did a, uh, a string quartet for helicopters where each of the players was in a separate helicopter that he choreographed where the helicopters would fly. So someone was playing a violin in a helicopter and the helicopter was flying overhead. Wow. <laughs> and it was just loud and miserable and very Stockhausen. <laughs> and every time a classical you know, group wants to perform it, yeah. There's always a lot of complaints because it costs so goddamn much and it's just helicopters buzzing you. <laughs> <laughs> but the residents went out and played their instruments. They set up their emulators with speakers on the top and were in four cars. And they were playing supermarket parking lots for a whole tour. Where you'd stand, the residents would drive around you. That's so fun. Yeah, they would. They did nutty stuff. And they also worked with the survival research labs mm-hmm. where the guys would blow up shit including their hands. One of them lost their hand. But they blow up shit with like rocket fuel, light it on fire. Have, they have monsters that do stuff. And all their shows are illegal. And you have to fill your ears with putty and then put ear protection over it. And it's so loud that it can make you vomit. Okay. Good show. I was say, you had me for this last detail. The residents, uh, yeah, I took a date to it once. And when we were taping up her head, she was going, what's going to happen? I said, well, I want to protect you. If your ears are all exposed, uh, there'll be permanent damage. <laughs> and then when I came in, they said, hey, Penn, come sit. And she was looking at the machines with flamethrowers attached. They had a, a machine with a, with a hamster that ran it. It was a hamster that had buttons to push. <laughs> and the hamster had complete control. And the hamster was in a one-ton flamethrower machine. Just... <laughs> hamster on a hamster wheel that controlled it and whenever it chose to hit the water thing it made the flamethrower go oh my gosh so it would light things on fire and they'd blow up houses the guy who started it blew his hand off oh uh mark pauline uh-huh and um he judged me positively because when i shook his hand i didn't wince oh so he said you're okay so the residents would do the soundtrack for these things, which was just, you know, incredible, incredible (laughs) volumes, incredible volumes and not made by speakers made by like devices, machines that would just, I mean, it's, it was like being in the middle of the worst construction site you've ever been in. Yeah. And, uh, so they recognized me and said, Ben, right down front. My date was like, do we do we want to be down front for this? And I said, well, just be ready to run. And, uh, and she was going, you're taking me to a show? We have to be ready to run? I said, yeah, the whole audience will run away if the hamster goes nuts. <laughs> uh, and the only way you say uh, Is the title of the story that she put on Medium. <laughs> Her version. What's that? The audience... <laughs> The audience will run away if the hamster goes nuts. Is the story of my worst first date by so and so on Medium. Yeah, I would. I bet. I bet she had that. And um, you you couldn't go to the shows because they were illegal. They've been shut down everywhere. So what you would do is you'd find out there'd be a phone number you'd call that you'd hear about from someone else. Residents called me and said, you know, there'll be a survival research lab show. Yeah, uh, it's going to be Sunday night. And uh, you can call at 5 p.m. And uh, they'll tell you where it's going to be. 
And so I said to my date, you know, we'll go have something to eat. And then at five o'clock, they'll call. We'll find out where the show is. And she said, why can't we know where the show is? And I said, because it's illegal. And she said, why is it illegal? I said, because they're doing really dangerous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. So we, uh, we arrived in and they had barricaded uh, a city block that was being demolished. They'd barricaded it. They'd put up wire fence <laughs> and without permission. And they had guards all around. And you'd go and get in and pay your money. And they'd give you all this ear protection and say, go over there. And then they raced against the cops coming to shut them down. And they had built all these barricades to slow the police down. Oh, my God. And then they would try to tear down their rigs and everybody scatter. And this was not, so this is not the resident, the residents were the band of this event. Yeah. But I mean, they weren't there. Yeah. I mean, they were there, Yeah, but no one knew they were there. They weren't performing. Yeah. No one's going to see a resident said, show. How about have this, having this whistle go off at 140 decibels? <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine neighbors, you know, no one was within a block, yeah. but neighbors up two blocks away would of course instantly call the police and say there's there's a bombing going on over here right <laughs> and you know the jello biafra and the dead kennedys and everybody would be there and i'd be there as well you know and with a date that's great and uh emily gillette was the date at the time no 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 oh didn't work didn't work out from that time to now <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, Carrie <laughs> Coleman was the date. Oh, okay. Carrie Coleman, who's, oh, so you who's, did go out for a while. who's an actor. We went out for quite a while. Carrie was the one that went. And Carrie will still tell friends about that. Yeah. That taping her head up and, go, you know, you get dressed for a date. So it is, it is, it is a first date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Carrie said, you know, there was no other experience she'd have like that. No. Anybody that saw Survivor Research Labs or the residents knew they were seeing something they would never see again. Yeah. And uh, they have, they've done, over in Europe, they've done very serious things. They've done installations. And um, the weird thing is the Department of Defense has used um, some of the stuff they built. Oh, wow. The Department of Defense actually gave them money. They were all engineers, mostly out of Stanford yeah. and MIT. Right. Who got together to do art. Yeah, yeah. And they would have, you can look up survival research labs on YouTube and you can find it. And there's stuff that'll go instantly into your nightmares. They have a hospital bed that has arms and crawls across the ground. Ugh. It just crawls. And they would, of course, hit it with a flamethrower. Then the bed would be on fire and crawling around this vacant lot you're in. So, so <laughs> they took part in the bad, weird LSD experiments then. I imagine they were part of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if anybody was ever part of those experiments, <laughs> it was these guys. <laughs> these guys. MK Ultra. MK Ultra. Yeah, they, along with Charlie Manson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the images, you can find, there was a laser disc that came out of Survivor Research Lab. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting it on for friends saying, I was at this show. And them going, I can't watch this show on video. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine being there. You know. Yeah. We were goggles, hard hats, everything. 
there watching this. And I still, hate it. They make me Ziploc myself. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the backyard of Survivor Research Labs. And for this one, they spent a lot of time. They wouldn't let me do it on my own. Mm-hmm. They, um, they wanted to play me a piece of music. Mm-hmm. And they um, uh, put stuff. People wonder why I'm deaf now. They put stuff in my ears to completely seal them up yeah. so I couldn't hear. Then they covered that with other muffs. Then they put on other ear protection. Then they gaffers taped that all around my head. I couldn't hear a thing. Then they wrote out, listen, this is really cool. And they set up this thing in front of me about 15 yards. And they played me a piece of music that I could not hear. I could only feel it. My whole chest just went, whole chest and arms shaking. And uh, I was sitting in a chair so I wouldn't fall over. And they ju- it was essentially wind, I guess, but sound waves at incredible volume. And I was, of course, alone because they had to be in a room protected to, to play this. I'm, I'm kind of on the cop side. They <laughs> <laughs> should have intervened. That sounds crazy. We dangerous. talked about wanting to expand your horizons. <laughs> I've now told people, yeah. look up the residents I will at Survival it. Research Lab, yeah. and we'll talk more. I don't know if we'll do it the next show, but yeah. I'll be talking more about the residents. We haven't even gotten to the weird stuff. Yeah. That was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. Those are weird times, my friend. Weird scenes in the gold mine. Now, I came in late. Is this, was this related to the mail that got written in? Yeah, one. I just said, you know, Matt's not going to talk a lot about music. So let's talk about the residents when it gets <laughs> No, we love you. Hey, Matt, you want me to thank? I do, as soon as I get my power cord out of my car. The following people support us over at patreon.com slash pen, and gosh, I'm grateful for it. Adam Luce is happy to hear Penn's ear is on the mend. I thought this was OnlyFans. Timo Tihoff, Mark Pickenheim, Mayor Rob Ford, Jason DeFilippo, Miriam Engels, Scott Kelly, Kirk Barrett, Kelly M., Adam Burzens, Klebe, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Rob Alligar, Ross Devereaux, Tony McElroy, Rue Dudley, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bacher, Impossibilities Magic Show in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Michael Torbay, Elon Lee, Jacob McCulley, Kelsey Johnson, Nicole Martin, Matthew Rausch, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Music Man, No Thank You Daddy, and Rachel Hawkins. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>